It's me, Roz. You know, next month or next week is Pride Month. And of course, it's always Pride Month here at Ghosted. But I thought it'd be fun just to just to get a little head start by talking to a queer historian, paranormal researcher, paranormal investigator, an author named Ken Summers. Ken Summers wrote a book called Queer Hauntings, True Tales of Gay and Lesbian Ghosts. And I asked Ken about the whole, the whole spectrum of, you know, LGBTQ ghosts and, and the relationship to queerness and the paranormal. So we have a cool conversation about that that you will hear today. I also, um, it was, a, it was a, a quite, quite the conversation. We got into a lot of stuff. So I did have to cut out a chunk, threw it on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ross Dresvelez, link in the description where you could also find a weekly podcast episode that I am putting up uh, this week as well. And um, I'm so excited for next week, you guys. There's going to be some changes. People on my Patreon have already heard about these changes, but uh, for everyone else, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a different week next week here on Ghosted, and um, I'm really excited about it. And so, don't you worry; I will still be talking about the paranormal every week. And um, I am gonna change a few things uh, about the podcast. Just like uh, some different kinds of episodes will be popping up more next week. I can't even believe this, but I am going to be joined by truly one of my favorite comedians. I just recorded the episode and we had so much fun. I'm going to be joined by two people, Patton Oswalt and his wife, actress Meredith Salinger. I can't wait for you to hear it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. So... We'll get into that next week. I'll tell you more about some of the changes I have planned uh, going on with the podcast. It's all fun, exciting stuff. Don't you worry. And um, anyway, I say we just get into this conversation about queer hauntings with Ken Summers. On with the show. You guys, I am joined by a queer historian, a paranormal researcher and investigator who specializes in LGBTQ ghosts. Ladies, gentlemen, everybody, please welcome Ken Summers. Hello. Hello, and thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. I'm so excited to talk about gay ghosts. I mean, it's Pride Month. It's um, 
It's something that I always want to talk about on the show. I just don't know of that many LGBTQ ghosts. So it sounds like you're the person to talk to. Yeah, I there there's surprisingly quite a few. They're very difficult to find as you can probably imagine, but actually that's what started me on this quest many many years ago uh, just doing local investigations in Ohio where I am and uh, sort of living two lives in a way being like being a gay man in one respect and then being a paranormal investigator in like the straight world and the other and just one day I just bubbled up in me it's like why don't you ever hear about any gay ghost stories? Mm-hmm. And that sort of set me on this mission of there have to be some out there. So I have to find these stories. And 15 years later, I have a treasure trove of stories and past investigators, current investigators that I've communicated with uh, all sorts of I've, I've even gone beyond ghosts lately with a book that I have written and I'm shopping around with a publisher right now uh, that delves into everything in the paranormal spectrum from astrology to UFOs pretty much and how queer people have basically been proliferant throughout the entire paranormal spectrum all for the entire time that paranormal has existed really. Yeah. Well, it's like so much of, I would imagine, finding out about the sexuality or gender identity of a ghost would be from researching and finding like the real story of who this person was at one point. But have you ever encountered, like, have you ever been ghost hunting and you're like, okay, my gaydar is going off. I feel like this ghost is gay. (laughs) Times when you go through historical records and you've read across these confirmed bachelors and mm. uh, people who uh, adopted uh, an adult uh, individual uh, that was one of the keys for historically how uh, different gays and lesbians would allow their partner to inherit their uh, wealth after they passed was to adopt them so that that way they could legally be in the will and all that and gain things. Um, but you run across all these interesting stories of, and they like people who dress especially fancy and parade <laughs> themselves in very, very strange ways. And it's like, this person could not have been straight because that's just impossible. <laughs> oh my God. That is, it's really an interesting thing because I imagine like something that's so tough with ghost hunting, especially like over the years, these stories get the game of telephone that gets passed around. And then people a lot of times get the history of people wrong. And I feel like they make their own assumptions about who these people were. Um, And like, I I think sometimes... um, like you always hear the story of like, oh, the the man that lives here loves women. So if, if you're a woman, like the, the man that haunts this place loves women. So if a woman comes in, he he just might smack you. So watch mm-hmm. out, ladies. He loves you. And I'm like, 
he could be a gay guy that wants to get the ladies out of there. He wants to spook them off so he can get to your husband. Exactly. It, it, there was actually one story I remember uh, uh, from my last book uh, when I was researching it. And I came across there was a haunted pub in um, in England somewhere where uh, it was there were women being pinched and it turned out that the ghost was a female and it was pinches on the rear end. So it's like, that's definitely not straight behavior, but it, there's a lot of times when there is like this, this questionable thing. I, I know there was a story of a, another bar in England. It's like England must be like the central ground for gay ghosts, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but there's uh, there was another bar where uh, in the kitchen area, men's uh zippers on their pants kept getting pulled down what yeah and they brought in a psychic who they found this old photograph of the bakery from a century ago and she was she was asked to pick out who on that was the one that was haunting and it turned out to be a man who is pulling down living men's pant zippers <laughs> so. oh my god see i could see people be like he was a tailor and that's yeah. why he's doing it it's like yeah, it's girl just that's, that's not why he's pulling it down <laughs> we know what he's looking for yeah. oh these ghosts um i'm obsessed with this whole idea of gay ghosts tell me tell me some gay ghosts well a lot of them that i find are the way that I find them is you take people who are known to be gay and right. look for the hauntings like Truman Capote, uh, Tennessee Williams. They both haunt the same bar, even though they pretty much disliked each other in life. But they both do you think haunt they haunted together. Like, do you think that they are aware of each other? I don't think so, because this is it's a bar called Cafe Lafitte in Exile in New Orleans. And Tennessee Williams sits in his favorite spot at the bar. And Truman Capote uh, haunts the stairwell leading to the upstairs and tries to strike up conversations with people. So they're in two different areas of the building. Tennessee is not interacting with anyone. He's just looking distraught all the time. Uh, and But Truman is being himself and being the life of the party and trying to chat people up the whole time. So, but do you so mean like he, he appears like full body, like people think it's actually Truman Capote and then he disappears or what? What I've heard, they just hear his voice. They don't okay. actually see him in the stairway. They just, they can hear him talking to them and it's just a little bit unnerving. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Oh my god, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Well, um gosh, there's I'm trying to think of all oh, there's a lot of celebrities from the past who have uh haunted different places. Um the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel is haunted. It's a well-known haunted location. Classic, yeah. Um and I cannot I don't know why, but for some reason, I cannot remember the actor's name. Montgomery Clift? Yes. He haunts the building because he rehearsed there for uh, a movie. 
and people still hear him playing the trumpet and complain, thinking it's an actual living person. But that's Montgomery Cliff still rehearsing the trumpet in his old hotel room in there. And he was a very, very much closeted person, like so many people in that time period of Hollywood and everything else like that. Uh, but then, yeah, there's um, James Whale. Uh, he actually, he's apparently, I don't, I, I, he haunted his, he's the director of Frankenstein for those people who don't know. Uh, but the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, uh, he committed suicide in his Pacific Palisades house in the pool. And the, one of the later owners had it filled in, but actually the former, uh, the, the later owner had an exorcism performed to get rid of his ghost because she didn't like having him around. Walt Whitman, the poet, he haunts one of his favorite hiking spots um, in New York. Actually, the, the trail is called the Walt Whitman Trail, so it's pretty easy to find him. And he actually spent a year of his life trying to learn how to become a psychic medium. He failed miserably, uh, but he always found mediumship fascinating. He he actually had his head measured for phrenology by Fowler, who pretty much invented phrenology, where you different parts of your head mean different things. And he actually coined a new term dealing with Walt Whitman called amativeness, which was um, basically a, I'm trying to think of exactly how he phrased it back in 1850, but uh, it's a lack of conjugal love and, uh, and uh, an avoidance of marriage, something along those lines, but mm. basically trying to say gay. Right. But, That's a long mm. way to say it. <laughs> yeah. There's no pride called lack of conjugal love and avoidance of marriage <laughs> yeah. festival. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, and Harvey Milk. Uh, still a very well-known activist uh, from the past. He actually was at his camera shop when they were filming the movie Milk. And uh, actually Gus Van Sant uh, had said somewhere during an interview that um, while they were recording one of the scenes, they there was someone walking around in the background and it was getting annoying because it was a closed set. There wasn't supposed to be anyone extra back there. And when someone finally bothered to look closer to see who it was, it was Harvey Milk standing in the background watching them film a scene about oh him. Oh, my God. So, a little bit of a narcissist, but I guess that's okay. Oh, my God. Harvey Milk was probably like, um, I didn't wear that. Uh, <laughs> that's not how it went down. Yes, definitely. What about Liberace's ghost? Yes, he, well, unfortunately, his restaurant is closed. Uh, it is, last I heard, it was a Russian restaurant. Uh, but, yeah, it was originally called Liberace's Tivoli Gardens. Then it became Carluccio's for a long time. But, yeah, he 
he has haunted that bar. He liked to uh, the restaurant, I mean, and they had they used to have a lot of his uh, costumes and instruments and everything all over the place. A lot of memorabilia. He liked to lock women in the women's restroom all the time because uh, he, he liked did... women. It's because he liked women, guys. That's why he <laughs> oh, did yeah. it. Yeah, that was his big claim too. So, <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, and people have seen glimpses of his sequined cape uh, in the building because he had secret entrances that he could pop in and go to his piano and start playing for people randomly whenever he felt like it. Uh, but then he also was extremely uh, easily upset by jokes because there was one incident where a bartender at the bar was making a wisecrack about Liberace being gay and a bottle of wine flew off the rack above her and smashed right at her feet. So he was letting her know that he really did not appreciate the, the humor of the joke. The insinuation. Mm. Whatever do you mean? Actually, um, Debbie Gibson one time mm. told a story on the best TV show in history, Celebrity Ghost Stories. And uh -huh. she somehow got her hands. I can't remember the exact story, but she like got Liberace's piano and mm. like has it in her home and it's haunted. Oh, nice. Yeah. The one from the old restaurant. I think so. Because I his museum closed down too, and I know he had more than one piano, and so it must have come from one of those two places. Have you ever seen that movie about him? Yes, I have. This, uh, that I didn't know any of that stuff. That is wild. Yeah, it's it's his life was very interesting. He was a very interesting person, and the people who came part of his life were very interesting. But the one thing they did kind of miss that I always liked was the final days of his life were actually spent in his bed with his dogs all piled on top of himself and watching reruns of Golden Girls. Oh, so not a terrible way to go out. Liberace, rest in peace. <laughs> That's amazing. I, um, I'm wondering now also about our lesbian ghosts. What kind of lesbian ghosts do you know about? There are, well, not so much in the famous. Oh, respect. that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, of course I have to give equal treatment and I try my best to cover as many people as possible. There's, uh, there's a, kind of famous but not so much famous over here a uh, story of the ladies of Langolan in Wales uh, it was these two women in the late 18th century uh, uh, Susan and Sarah who uh, one of whom was older and dressed as a man all the time uh, but they originally, they lived in Ireland and they eloped together and fled Ireland and settled in a little town in Wales called Langollen. And they bought a house called Plas Nawid. Uh, it still exists to this day. It's a historical museum. They lived there their entire lives. They 
they were like celebrities, celebrities, local celebrities, really. Um, and they they met. They had different famous poets as guests. They were very, very popular among the locals. And but it was pretty much well known that they were a lesbian couple, even though there have been some historical accounts that have been trying to backpedal that a bit that, oh, it's a romantic friendship. It's like, that's no, they were lovers. Let's just get it flat. <laughs> uh, but they still haunt their old house, especially around Christmas time. Uh, they're very friendly ghosts, but they're still there. And um there's also um, one story that it's it's very controversial in a lot of ways, but Lizzie Borden, I will add her to the list because there's there's a a decent amount of evidence suggesting that she wasn't straight. Well, there was that uh, movie I saw. Was that Kristen Stewart? Yeah. Where wasn't it like kind of a lesbian heavy movie? Yes, it was, and I know a lot of people get upset by that. Like, there's no, there was she was just she was just a spinster basically kind of thing. Uh, but no, her she had a romantic relationship with an actress named Nance O'Neill, and that went horribly wrong uh, along the way. But uh, there's good reason to believe that that is what basically led to the split of her and her sister because Lizzie Borden and her sister had a huge blow up fight uh, around the time that Nance came over and brought her actor and entourage with her. And the two of them never spoke again for the rest of their lives. So it must've been something very, very, very serious like coming out or something like that that led to this whole split mm-hmm. uh, they actually died within a week of each other uh, <laughs> i think it was like just a few days after lizzie died that her sister fell down the steps and broke her neck oh wow yeah but no she everyone always focuses on the bed and breakfast the lizzie borden bed and breakfast where the murders happened and all that she doesn't haunt there she haunts the house that she had after that called maplecroft uh, which she she was a very rebellious woman in a lot of respects, and she did one thing that Victorians thought was didn't the most, she kill her parents? Well, allegedly, it was never that's pre- pretty rebellious. <laughs> might, be the, might be the most rebellious thing a person can do. <laughs> but but no, she didn't care what other people thought of her. And when she bought Maplecroft, she had the name of the house chiseled into the front steps, which you can still see today. And that was considered by Victorians to be extremely distasteful. Uh, But no, she was a lover of poets and animals uh, and music. And actually, I think it was $30,000 of the money in her will went to the Fall River Animal Shelter. And they still have information on their website about that because basically that huge donation back in the 1930s has helped them still exist this very day. She she believed that animals were better than people, which in a lot of times that's very much true. <laughs> Wait a minute. I, I'm realizing now that I actually don't know a lot about Lizzie Borden. Did yeah, she... a lot of people don't. So... 
she didn't kill her parents or she did kill her parents? We don't know. Somebody, <laughs> somebody is killed still her parents. A question of debate. There are so many. It's well, there's always the Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother, her father 40 wax thing. But that was that was actually a newspaper selling slogan. It never happened that way exactly. Uh, but it was she was acquitted of the crime, so she was never formally charged and convicted of murder. And there's arguments to be made on both sides of the story as to whether she actually did it or someone else actually did it. So it's one of those never to be solved mysteries pretty much at this mm. point but her parents um, haunt that bed and breakfast right yes and her step her, her father was not the most wonderful person in the first place not not justifying murder or anything like that but he was he was a rather stingy rotten person who just wasn't a pleasant person to live with and her stepmother wasn't the best person either. So I can understand if she did commit it, commit the murders, I can understand why in that type of environment, something that bad could happen. Mm-hmm. But maybe it was somebody else. Mm-hmm. There were other suspects. There was a uh, someone believed to be a serial killer in the area at the time who could have committed it. Uh, there was stories of possibly the maid doing it who supposedly she was having an affair with there were a lot of different rumors going around that still still go around today that nobody knows for sure it's it's trying to solve a 150 year old murder is a little bit challenging these days because uh, yeah. most of it you don't have any physical evidence left you don't you all you have is stories and everybody makes up gossip about everybody else. So it's it's never probably going to be solved 100%. Oh, Lizzie Borden. <laughs> now I feel bad for Lizzie Borden, kind of. I like that she I, likes animals. She was, she was a very intelligent person, a very unique person. And she was a good soul in a lot of ways. But nobody is ever 100% good and 100% or 100% evil, there's always some combination of the two. Everything is somewhere in between. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I always talk about theaters being haunted and, and I love... I love the... I love theaters and I love the idea of haunted theaters. And they're also... A safe haven for queer people, and there's always there's you, you can't have a theater without some queer people up in there. Of course. So I imagine there's probably a lot of haunted theaters by queer people, right? Um, actually, yes, there are. There's um, it's it's always tricky to be sure because there's a lot of stories unless you know for sure someone's personal history it can be a little bit difficult to find out for sure if is this really a case of gay ghost and that's that's always my tricky point is i need to find some kind of definitive evidence to back up uh what i i 
find in different ways. But I know that there is one theater in England, the Queen's Theater. Uh, I, I don't even mean that in the sense of irony or anything like the that. The Queen's but Theater. The Queen's Theater is actually one of the one of the many, many haunted theaters in England. Um, and it does have some uh, queer connections with it, um, with the hauntings and everything like that as well. Um, it does, they do believe that John Gilgul could be the, one of the ghosts at that particular uh, place, even though he had a theater directly next door to it. They believe that he, uh, the, that actor and director, uh, may be the man in the gray suit that's seen wandering in that building there. Hmm. Curious. What about, um, you know, gender nonconforming, transgender ghosts? Do you encounter those ever? That's always been the tricky one. Because I tend to deal with stories from the distant past more often than more recent. But, and that's where I get, you have to sort of understand the vernacular of the times. Uh Um, There are some situations of uh, cross-dressing ghosts. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting when you look into trans history, because, yeah. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something that people could just, you know, do. You yeah. couldn't just transition and no. and just live your life. I mean, there are some cases, but they're few and far between. Of course, if you look at like different cultures, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's yeah, definitely. And for a long, a long period of time in history, just, dressing in the opposite gender was literally a crime that could land you in jail. Yeah. Which is what there's a lot of stories of uh, people that I've uncovered from spiritualism and all realms of the paranormal who were uh, gender nonconforming in a lot of ways and many, many times were arrested for dressing in the wrong gender, usually women dressing as men, uh, which was especially frowned upon because you're, you're trying to imitate the the correct gender in a lot of people's ideas. (laughs) But, but yeah, there was a lot of cross-dressing going on and uh, it's, it's, it's always been a very difficult thing. And that's what makes it difficult when you're dealing with the paranormal and researching these people is you don't always know why they're doing it. Is, were they, were they, uh, were they transgender or were they just, did they just enjoy clothing of the other gender? There's a, there's a lot of, a lot of questions involved in a lot of that. And I don't like to get too, too bogged down in, uh, trying to translate it all but but no like you were saying with the cultures there's there's always been in every culture you can pretty much find there's been a history of people who dressed 
in opposite gendered clothing, uh, everything from Native American two spirits to uh, over in uh, India, there were, I, I don't want to pronounce it wrong, but I think it's Hira, uh, which is sort of a cultural group of men who dress as women and take on female gender roles. Uh, but they're, they were very high, highly regarded for a very long time. They've become a little bit less uh, liked in recent years, but they still exist as a cultural phenomenon. And it's, it's, it's something that's always permeated everything. And it used to have a lot more to do with people who had these conflicting genders, uh, for lack of a better term, were usually thought of as important people. They were the healers. They were the wise people of the tribe. They were the sorcerers. They were the ones that were more in, in touch with the spirits because they could be both genders at the same time. So there was a very spiritual significance to, to someone who walked the line between genders like that. My personal opinion, that still holds up. Oh yeah, definitely. What? And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people, people in the entire queer spectrum, you you live on the edge of the society you're in in a lot of respects. So you're more observant of everything than the average person walking down the street with a single gender uh, and straight heterosexual orientation who just goes about average everyday life you you realize your own differences and so you have your own internal struggles but then you also are more observant of the people around you and how they interact with things because you're trying to both see where you fit into society as well as how to navigate that society as best as possible right. so I mean, I also think that uh, you know, it probably has to do with uh, the time you live in and the location that you live in. But I also think that there's a lot of survival technique that uh, yeah. survival instincts that you develop both for your own safety and for um, finding your own community or finding uh, yeah. lovers or whatever you have to have, like when people say gay dar or whatever, like, mm -hmm. I do think that there actually is something to that, that, yeah. um, that could be also going along with being intuitive, uh, being psychic, whatever. Exactly. That's, and that, that's why, uh, there's a lot of gays, lesbians, bisexuals, transgenders in, um, psychic world and uh involved in any kind of uh uh spiritual beliefs that involve the afterlife and all that there are a lot of gay psychics out there, there are. and there always have been this place the cyrus rex house i was reading about mm -hmm. on your website mm -hmm. i didn't know about this can you tell us about that Oh, yes. Cyrus Rex. Uh, the town was named after him, Rexmont, Pennsylvania. He basically ran this little company town. Um, 
And yeah, he lived in a little brick house in what's left of Rexmont, which is not, there's not even a stop sign in the side in the town. It's basically non-existent anymore. But there was a female spirit observed by later owners of the house. And for one reason or another, they, they thought that maybe it was his niece who had lived with him for a while, but there's a, there was a growing belief among at least one of the owners that it was actually Cyrus himself dressing in women's clothing who was haunting the building uh, dressed as a woman, mm-hmm. which actually is not that uncommon because uh, the Rosencrown guest house in Provincetown is also haunted by a man dressed as a woman uh, who was the former owner of that building. He was a gay rights activist. He was an AIDS activist. He passed away of AIDS, but he always dressed in a white bride's costume for carnival every year there. And they still see him in the hallways, specifically in the library dressed in a white dress. So there's, Quite a few cross-dressing ghosts. I actually found another old story from the 1950s of a couple in uh, California who would bought antique furniture from England. And there was a ghost that came with it of, I think he might have been a page or someone's assistant or servant or something like that. But repeatedly at night, he would try on the woman's clothing that she had sitting out for the next day. So he even was attempting to cross dress in the afterlife. Wow. See, and that kind of goes along with some people theorize that in some circumstances, when you're a ghost, you can mm-hmm. choose to be your your best self or your happiest self or however you want to be. You know, when people say stuff like that, or it's like, you can go back mm. to being younger, even though you died when you were 90, but you haunt as a 20-year-old or whatever. You know, it's kind of that thing. I think a lot of that has to do with mentally, you, you, you go with what makes you happiest, which is what I think a lot of us should be living our normal lives as. Mm-hmm. Doing and living the way that makes us happy, not the way that everyone else thinks we should be happy. Right. Being. And I imagine at a time when you couldn't openly be trans or just, you know, explore your gender publicly, those moments in, in quiet at home at night or whatever, were probably some of your happiest moments, your most authentic moments. Yes. What about haunted queer spaces like, uh, gay bars and, and stuff like that? I feel like every once in a while I'll hear about like a haunted gay bar. There are surprisingly a lot of them. What is difficult now, though, is so many queer spaces are closing, not just because of the pandemic and COVID, but because there's sort of a cultural shift uh, in society away from these institutions that some of us. Just say it, it's Grinder. <laughs> Grinder has taken well, away. The gay bars. <laughs> Blame it all on social media and apps. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But no, the, the, but there are a lot 
of, I actually worked at a haunted gay bar um, some 20 years ago. Um, I, everyone knows, everyone in the area knows that I'm a paranormal investigator. So anytime I go anywhere, at some point I'm going to ask if the place is haunted. Uh, and yeah, there was a bar in Akron, Ohio uh, called Cocktails. The building has been torn down since and relocated. But um, yeah, I happened to ask if it was haunted. And uh, turns out that there was a female patron who was a regular even before it was a gay bar. And she was a well-known heavy drinker. And one night the front door used to face directly out into the main street. She was especially drunk. She lived across the street, down a few streets. She walked out the front door and right into oncoming traffic and was hit and killed. Mm-hmm. And her ghosts still lingered around that building. You would, you would catch glimpses of her. You would, strange things would happen. And I remember I was talking, I told all the other bartenders about it, and the owner was a strong disbeliever in ghosts, so he never wanted to hear anything about it. Uh, But one of the other bartenders who I worked with one day when I came in for the afternoon shift, he said, I have to tell you about this because I know you're the only person who will believe me, and I don't know what happened. He said, I was closing up last night, and there was an upstairs bar and then a lower bar and a staircase that led down um, facing away from the main bar. And he was counting out the money on the, uh, it's like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And a crumpled up napkin flew down the stairs. Mm. And he thought, that's strange, but maybe the wind caught something. Just brush it off, pretend like it didn't happen. Goes back to counting the money. And 10 minutes later, another crumpled up napkin comes flying down the stairs, rolled up in a ball. He freaked out immediately. He left the money where it was, didn't even set the alarm, just locked the door behind him and ran out of the building and left. So the owner was very upset with him the next day for not setting the alarm and leaving money out like that. But he was just terrified of whatever it was that was there that was trying to let him know that something something was there and needed uh, some attention from him. Well, you know, another theory that some people have is like just the energy, the collective energy of a lot of people, people being happy, people being sad, people being drunk, chaos, fighting, whatever. All of that can linger around and can that manifest into moving shit around a bar? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of well, there's even cases of. Very, 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 very old gay bars. Like in England, uh, uh, there's the Molly houses that they used to have back in the 18th century. Usually it was a woman who ran the establishment for those like us. Uh, and she was referred to as mother. Very, very drag appropriate name. <laughs> uh, but... But no, there was a famous raid that took place on one of these Molly houses. And there is still a ghost story attached to that, that people can still hear the crowd fleeing for their lives from the police from that location, running down the same street that it happened on some 
250, 300 years ago. Wow. One of my favorite stories that I have come across is it was documented in a book by uh, a, f- a former famous researcher named Nander Fodor. He was a psychiatrist and a paranormal investigator back in the 1930s and 40s. And he had a friend who was a lesbian uh, and he wrote about her in his book. And basically for the 1940s, when the book came out, for someone to basically say that there's absolutely nothing wrong with anyone's sexuality is quite remarkable in itself. But he said that this woman that was his good friend uh, had a lover who passed away and took her a long time to get over her grief, but she finally did. And she met another woman and set up an appointment to, in a New York hotel room for an evening together in private. And just when they were getting intimate in bed, the phone started ringing and it kept ringing and it rang nonstop. And, it was so constant that the girl she was with got very uncomfortable and left in a hurry. The next morning she went downstairs and berated the clerk talking about how I will have your job. That was horrible of you to do and just going on about, and he said, I'm sorry. I I didn't mean to disturb you or anything, but the person on the phone said it was an emergency. And so she got in, she got the phone number. It was a California number. And that's when she remembered that she knew a psychic out in California that she had spoken to when she was trying to get in contact with her dead lover. Um, and so she called up the psychic and said, what was so important that you had to call me in the middle of the night in New York about. And she said, I'm, I'm sorry about this, but your lover came to me and demanded that I call you immediately because she had a message for you. And she said, well, what was the message? And she said, your lover said, I'm extremely disappointed in you. So her dead lover did not like the fact that she was moving on with another woman and wanted to let her know that she was disapproving of the new girl. Damn. (laughs) That is... That's like psychic Jerry Springer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I well you also had mentioned to me in an email about lesbian um lesbians that were abducted by aliens. Yes. What is and that? The book, the book was actually also written by a gay man uh, and a straight woman. Uh and <clears throat> the book is called the Tahunga Canyon Contact. Wait, I actually, I have looked into this before, but remind me, remind me. Yeah. Uh, between, I want to say 1950 and 1980 or so, um, <clears throat> there was, it started out with a lesbian couple that experienced uh, something akin to an, uh, an alien abduction in the Tahunga Canyon in California. And it wasn't until they went through regression that they started understanding what had happened to them. And then friends of theirs uh, 
started experiencing similar phenomena and there were ended up being about six women total, some of whom were gay, some straight, some questioning or bisexual, who were all connected together, who were having strange experiences with uh, abductee reports and strange phenomena and missing time and all of these very, very bizarre experiences with it. Uh, and yeah, it was chronicled in a book by D. Scott Rogo and Ann Druffel. D. Scott Rogo was actually a paranormal investigator, a very prolific paranormal investigator in the 1980s. Uh, he was very, very famous in his time. He wrote like 30 books in his short life because he was murdered in a possible hate crime in 1990 uh, in his home in California. So it's a lot of weird stuff out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing I was reading on your uh, website is a, a part about abductions. And mm -hmm. it says that uh, they interviewed some people and they found a pretty high number of LGBTQ people have been abducted. Yes. And that's given the fact that uh, the UFO community is on the conservative side. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pushback against that. But it there was uh, a detailed book written by three authors. Uh, uh, I believe it's called The Abduction Enigma. Yes. And yes. they delved into sexuality when it comes to uh, abduction reports, even though they said that it's very difficult to know for sure because so often sexuality is completely overlooked in documenting any form of abduction reports or phenomena and all of that. But they said through their own research that there have been, they have discovered that there is a higher than expected uh, degree of people who are either hypersexual or uh, LGBTQ who uh, experience abduction phenomena compared to the normal straight heterosexual average people. Now, are these reports of people um, that are also having some kind of sexual uh, activity w when they get abducted, like with... Generally not. No. So why would it? Uh, why are they trying to get people that are hypersexual and LGBTQ? And well, it's a good question. It depends entirely on what what exactly is happening with with why abduction cases are happening in the first place, which is still a big a big question mark right there. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting in a lot of ways but if you're if you're looking to learn about a species in general you would want to sample all the outliers not just the the most common ones you would want to see the entire range of diversity so if if it is like a and if it ends up being something where it is like beings from a different dimension or planet or something like that investigating human species it would make sense that they would want to find out all the possibilities of humans uh and all the different types of humans and all the the 
different variations of the species in a lot of ways. Well, if there's so still, I mean, this book was written in 1999, but if they're still looking for queer people, I am here. I am <laughs> so down to get taken up. Can you imagine what that would do for my podcast? Yeah. To come would, back down and tell some stories. Yeah, you would. There'd probably be a few book deals in it, too. Uh, <laughs> but just like a nice vacation for a while. Uh, yeah. I'm, as long as it's not a metal counter that you have to lay on or anything like honestly, that. Honestly, I'm fine with that. At this point, <laughs> just to get out of here for a little bit, I'm down. Um, yeah. Wait, so I guess we should also, I should ask you if there's uh, bisexual ghosts that you encounter yes um that's where it gets a little bit complicated because there's always the question of well there's always been controversy with oh are, are bisexual people just people who can't make up their minds and sure. are they just really gay and they're just in denial da, 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 da. well especially i'm sure but, you'll you'll find historical uh you know evidence of a straight couple and the husband has affairs with men and then people might say oh well that he's gay but he could have been bisexual like who know who really knows exactly yeah and yeah that's that's where it becomes a bit difficult because who's to say that someone is 100 gay when they could have been bisexual i'm even, I mean, Vincent Price's daughter said that she believed that he was bisexual. Um, and that's still a controversial thing, even though his daughter said that. But but yeah, there's but there's a lot of things where it's it's difficult to say for sure if someone is technically bisexual or if they were full-fledged gay. Does Vincent Price haunt someplace? Because I'm obsessed with Vincent Price. I wish he did. I know that he had a uh, a very prone, profound paranormal experience when um, uh, a friend of his passed away. Uh, but no, he was on a plane at the time of this actor's death. And there was sort of a strange light in the sky out his window and he looked out. And in the clouds, he could see the words that so-and-so is dead. And he thought, that's just weird. And he landed. And not, not an hour after landing, he got the news that while he was on that flight, his friend had passed away. Mm. He also recorded an album. Do you know about the album that he recorded about witchcraft and Satanism? He recorded a couple of different things. He recorded a, uh, I know, I don't know if it was from that album or not, but he recorded a, uh, a reading of, I don't know what he was reading, but it was about uh, how to see ghosts or surely bring them to you. Yeah. So, but yeah, he's, he was very much into, into very creepy things. He had a lot of gay friends too. Um, there was a very famous gay Hollywood couple that lived directly across the street from them. So, <laughs> so he was extremely open with sexuality and his daughter is a lesbian. And she said he was fully accepting of her when he, when she came out to him. Wow. And supposedly that's when he admitted that he, uh, 
had experienced relationships with men in his life as well. Okay, wait. We should probably wrap it up soon. But one of my favorite, I think, I mean, I never like to say my favorite, but one of my favorite haunted places is this place in San Diego called Villa Montezuma. Yes. That place is so cool. And it is haunted by this man who was very queer. Jesse Shepard, also known as Francis Grierson. Yes. When he was a writer, he was uh, a psychic pianist. So he, but he didn't like living as a psychic, even though the spiritualist community out there built this amazing Queen Anne Victorian house for him that the ice i would love to go inside it i've only been on the outside myself but i would love to go inside it just to see the stained glass window of sappho that he has in there yeah apparently they open it up sometimes i i i've never gotten to go inside either yeah but yeah but no he was uh he was a, a psychic he could channel different spirits he could channel composers he was he made a good living doing that, but he decided he didn't want to be known as a psychic, so he wanted to be known as a musician. So he went off to Europe, failed miserably as trying to just be a regular musician and an author, and came back to San Diego dirt poor. Um, and it was actually during his performance for he was doing a fundraiser just to get enough money to try and keep alive in basic life he held a concert as a fundraiser and he played the final song and stopped and bowed his head at the keyboard and everyone applauded and then they stopped and he didn't move and that's when they realized that he had died right after playing the final notes of that song but he had a male secretary uh, who Mm -hmm. well yeah i i've had a few people complain to me and say, no, they were not lovers. They were just business partners. I've had a few Um, male secretaries myself. He traveled with him everywhere. He, they were an inseparable couple. There was, it was not just, no, just, just the boss. That's all. But no. And he, he haunts, he's supposed to haunt that building. There was a cat that there was a fire at the building at one time there was a cat, I want to say, that was found in the rubble uh, that they named Psyche. And they believed that that cat actually uh, was the reincarnation of Shepard himself, if I remember correctly, too. Cool. But there used to be a movie about him. has been shut down for so long. Even when I went there back in 2009, I could only see the outside of the building. But it was so frustrating. Can... Mm. This has been great. You are a lovely storyteller and I love hearing these stories. Can you tell people where to get your book and, and find you and all that stuff? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, my book uh, from 2009. So it's been a while. Uh, is Queer Hauntings, True Tales of Gay and Lesbian Ghosts. Uh, it was published by Lethe Press and it's still available through Lethe leafy press but also anywhere books are sold barnes and noble amazon you name it um i hopefully fingers crossed and my agent sanity at sake 
will be having a new book coming out tentatively titled Weirdly Queer, which is going to tackle the history of all paranormal phenomena related to LGBTQ perspectives. Um, you can visit my website, moonspenders.com, or do a search for Queer Paranormal, and that will come up first. I have some information on there, not a whole lot, because I'm holding back on a lot of it, and I haven't had much time to digest everything into a smaller form to post on the website recently. But uh, as time goes on, I'm going to be adding a lot more to do with everything from updated ghost stories to uh, voodoo and Santeria and witchcraft, the history of witchcraft and sexuality and you name it, really, because there's so much fascinating stuff out there with weirdness and queerness combining into one. Um, yeah, and I have a few possible other projects coming on the horizon, but I don't know anything for sure, so I can't really say much about that. But yeah, and I, you can also, uh, since you interviewed uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk, uh -huh. um, you can find some of my past writings on their Week and Weird website. I used to write a bit of more humorous perspective in a lot of ways, but I have some old queer stories on there as well about ghosts and strange news stories and all sorts of weirdness on there too. Cool. Well, thank you so much. And um, I hope we can talk again sometime. Thank you so much to Ken. I hope you have a lovely Pride Month as we go on into Pride Month. I think it is so important that we honor the people that came before us. So often their stories get erased or revised. And uh, I'm very happy to be LGBTQ. Very proud. Be proud of who you are. You know something else I forgot to tell you about? Last week's episode with Sapphire Sandalo, we ended up getting on video. And you can watch the full video version of that episode on YouTube, which is something else that will be happening more and more and more. So look out for that. Guys, please be subscribed to the show and tell your friends. Tweet about it. Post about it. Rate it five stars wherever you can. I definitely want to be reading more ghost stories on the pod. So please send me some relatively short ghost stories in a five-star review. Or just email me at ghostedbyroz at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram at Roz Hernandez. TikTok and Twitter at it's Roz Hernandez. And next week, you will hear me and Patton Oswalt and Meredith Salander. And oh my God, it's crazy. I love you all, both living and dead. But if I didn't ask you to haunt me, don't haunt me. Okay, bye! Star Games Audio, a, podca <clears throat> a podcast network.